Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by the UPS Store Canada. Just go. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of interesting. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, and everybody has a different way of introducing a podcast. Some have a lot of razzmatazz at the beginning. Some people play a clip. Some people, well, some people are big stars. They don't need to do anything. You know, like Jason. That would be us. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, so we we could just do this Yeah, we'll just start. Hello, Ted Bird. <laughs> How do you do, Terry Devante? Uh, nice to be back, season six. Yes, it is very How nice to be that, back. Hey, yeah. When we started this little thing, I thought, well, you know, if we do uh, five or ten episodes, it'll be great. Yeah. So this is this has turned out uh, quite nice. Thank if this you This is season much. six. That means we've done 50. Five. Wow. Oh, look is at that us. right? Yeah. And um, I'm always fascinated by people who say, what time is your podcast on? So... If well, you're listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've downloaded it, or if you're watching it on YouTube. It's on whenever you want it to be on. I bought a notebook Look for this you. season. Look at this fancy pink notebook yeah. I bought for the podcast. It's not pink. It's fighting salmon. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a guest in the studio, and uh, before we get started, um, first of all, thanks to you for downloading the podcast and supporting the podcast and going to the Standing By Social media sites. We appreciate that very much on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. You can follow us there. We appreciate that. A big thank you to our podfathers. We should thank them again, Ted. We should. Pantelis and Mike Ward, who provide us with the facilities and infrastructure and have supplied us with our producer, Poseidon. Yes. Hi, Poseidon. Hello, Poseidon. Oh, how you doing? How you doing? We're back. Doing pretty good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm pretty pleased uh, to say that uh, we've got a couple of new sponsors who have joined us for Season 6. Um, one is uh, Accutech Electrical. We'll tell you about them as the show goes forward. And also, I'm pleased to say we are sponsored in Season 6 by Sugar Sammy. How about that, eh? Sugar Sammy has sponsored the podcast. We'll tell you more about that coming up. As we move into Season 6, we start with our thanks to David Drucker and the people at the UPS Store Canada. They are our, what do we call them? Title sponsor. Thank you. The t- I always forget the word title. Um, title sponsor of the Standing By podcast with over 370 stores across the country to help you with your small business, to help you with private things. I was looking on the website today, which is theupsstore.ca, by the way. That's where you'll find a location near you. They also have a small business blog there that gives you some business tips if you're running a business from home. And there's some tips there on how to prepare for a long-distance move. Last week, I had a pair of broken glasses that I wanted to ship to my friend Imre Litrasitz here in Montreal so that he could fix them and I could pick them up while I was in Montreal. 
went to my UPS store. You go to the UPS store and you hold up the glasses and say, I need to ship these to Montreal. And they take care of it. Nobody in Vancouver knows how to fix glasses? Uh, nobody that I trust. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I miss a lot of things about Montreal. Yeah. And uh, Literacy's apparently yeah, being they, one of them. Yeah, they're, they're one and of them. And that's where the UPS store comes in. That's right. The UPS store, over 370 locations. There's one, I'm telling you, around the corner from you, uh, run by an entrepreneur just like you. Or, you know, if you want to send that coffee dish. What? To your aunt across the country. Anti Griselda. Anti Griselda. Yeah. What's a coffee dish? I have no idea. Okay. I'll shut up now. Um, we have a guest that we've been ignoring, um, which is what we always do when we start the podcast. Yeah. And I'm pretty excited about this because I haven't seen uh, Bobby for a long time. And I'm going to allow you to do the introductions, Ted. Bob Marier is uh, a longtime friend and acquaintance of ours. Uh, we've known Bob for, uh, well, for I've known Bob for as long as I've known his brother Pete. So that's about 35 years. Yes. Uh, Bob is uh, an interventionist, a sobriety coach, the founder and CEO of Hired Sobriety. Uh, I knew Bobby back in the day when we were all still drinking and drugging, and we used to say, Jesus Christ, it's Bobby Marier. Let's get the fuck out of here before he sees us. Now I've known Bobby for almost 20 years in sobriety, and we'll see him at an AA meeting and say, Jesus Christ, it's Bobby Marier. Let's get the fuck out of here before he sees us. <laughs> you know that's just a joke, yeah. right, Bobby? Well, and he's heard it before. Yeah. Yeah. You've heard no. it. Yeah. Hey, yes, of you've course. heard it before. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby? Yeah. And that, by the way, before was when I was working on my, that's how I got my degree, you yeah. know. Uh, my experience is my uh, expertise, so um, that's where I got my expertise. Bob is also on Instagram as uh, at Sober underscore coach. Yep. Right? With a million followers. Wow. A million I followers. You know what's crazy? I post once a year now. How and did you get a million followers? Vice made me uh That's popular. right. Yeah. There's Vice a, made yeah. me popular. Yeah. yeah. It was really that. Did you I say really Vice, worked Bobby? Vice, Vice did. I did. Yeah. Uh, Vice, after, did a, Vice did a documentary uh, on Bobby. Yeah, yeah. After working Rob Ford, they did a documentary on me and it's been like, it's insane. It's been seen like 20 million times. Wow. So, and it's been seen in countries that, you know, it's not even in English. I've seen it in Chinese, which is kind of interesting. Wow. Um, no business from China yet, but I'm holding out that maybe <laughs> I get some. Uh, probably gambling issues there, but um, yeah. I, you know, it, it didn't sort of snowball itself. I think while I was building it, I had like a team and we were feeding this machine and an algorithm and it took off. I was verified three weeks after I opened my account which is kind of crazy. It is. And I didn't even ask for it. It was done. It is. So someone at Vice had sent over the original or whatever, how it worked. I don't know how that, you know, and I never even really held too much with it, but one, held too much credence to it. For business, the only people that want to advertise with me are rehabs that are like the most unscrupulous rehabs on the planet. Hey, how about we collab? And I'm like, yeah, so I'll sell my real estate for something that I cannot do. And it's not something I ever wanted. Was do. interventionist and and uh, what did you say? Sober, sober coach, coach, sobriety coach. A, a sobriety yeah. coach. Were those terms you came up with, Bobby? No. An interventionist has been around for Vernon Johnson. This is a guy that in the 50s was came up with the idea of doing a Vernon Johnson-style intervention. And the intervention word itself has been around the English language forever, but it's to sort of like business as usual is over by means of an intervention. And like... I come in and I get called. Uh, I, I don't have to sell my services. When they call me, like, we've had it. You flag on the play. Let's get this get this person 
whatever that issue is. And pretty well, they're always the same issue. The family of origin is, uh, you know, we're, we're, I'm not trying to do therapy on this person. I'm trying to get this person from either pre or post jackpot to a safe place where he can start the healing process of his recovery. I don't hold their hand. I don't pull them there by coercion. You can't bring anyone in. People are like, what do you, you have handcuffs to take them away? No, that's called forcible confinement. You go to prison for that. And you bring the family together, they're concerned. You, on that day, bring them that they have a consensus and we're all paddling the boat in the same direction. The intervention job itself is, you know, it's not for everybody. You're going into a place where, you know, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, Fuck yeah. Okay, so just in case you want to know, like when I go in the door, it's like motherfucker cocksucker. Like that's good morning for yeah. me. Yeah. And it's a lot of, it's the worst, per, worst, worst day for the family worst day for the person and it's also the best day they just don't know it at that time uh ted you've been privy to seeing a lot of people i've actually worked with and they usually say that and i fucking hated this guy but now i love yeah. him yeah um and it's usually the tale and then if you show me any family that has someone with substance abuse disorder there's a banker and there is a janitor someone's paying for their shit and someone's cleaning it up so families and one person's got it the whole family's sick and they don't realize you're either covering up or lying or it's a terrible enabling. Thing. Yeah, enabling yeah. behaviors. Yeah. Let's go back. Let's yep. backtrack and go to the beginning and talk about your own intervention, your history, and uh, and how you got sober, which is going on 20 years now, right? Yep. You're at 19? January will be 20 years. Yeah. I mean, a day at a time, realistically. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm not going to take it before January 3rd, but uh, I, don't know. I mean... Hey, that's Terry's birthday. That's my birthday. Bobby got sober <laughs> on your birthday, Terry. And, uh, there you go. <laughs> I, did, sober I, day. Was, I got sober for, ten, <laughs> uh, for Terry. What the hell? And I, and I'm, I, uh, you know, I, I came by it really... What people don't seem to understand is they see the by, the end product now. I was so unhappy from age 15 to 39. I can't quantify that type of low-grade depression and really lost in who I wanted to be. I was incapable of school. I got a really bad learning, you know, attention deficit disorders. When you're born in 1965, they said you had a problem like, oh, if you could only settle down or harness that power. There's no harnessing the power when you have ADHD. It doesn't exist. What's my favorite color? Shiny. Yeah. And I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run into things that nothing could keep me uh, focused. And make no mistake, I started feeling less than at a young age, and then I carried it over. Like I try and tell people, like I think I'm, there's years. I come from a big family. You guys know my brother Peter. You've worked with him forever. It was sad. Um, and I have this big loving family, and I had this low lying. Like you see pictures of me from Christmases from years back. And I can see these sad eyes, and I've never done my job, ever, gone in to intervene on someone and haven't seen, hey, I'm looking at the eyes. I can tell by the eyes how much where, pain they're in. Where did, let's start at the beginning, yeah. Bobby. Where did it start? Was it, was it a, a beer, and then a martini, and then a, and then a, a joint? Oh, and you're going like, to love this. Yeah, um, like where, 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 the, does it be, where does the slide begin? At 13, remember we had Brador in Canada? Yeah, I sure, sure do. Yeah. Brador, the strong yeah, beer with yeah. the gold yeah, label on right. top. Yeah. Classy. Um, <laughs> I remember getting drunk on that, and the first time I felt the heat, it comes, it comes in your chest the first time you drink, and you're like, that buzz kicked in. I was like, okay, I like this. And I sort of made it be like, I'm going to identify as Bob, take it now, ask questions later. How old were you? 13. Okay, wow. And the first time I drank, I woke up on the front step of our house on Dollard in Fredmere. <laughs> like there was a shoe missing. And I got 
Like my parents bought me shoes when I was 13 years old. I didn't buy them, and they were Stan Smiths, which cost money. My dad was, uh, that was the height of goddamn extravagance, you know? <laughs> and and I had lost the shoe, which to this day I've never found. But I woke up the next day, and people said, do you remember what you did? And like stuff that a normal person would be, oh, shit, man, I never want to do that. And I sort of, you know, I said, I'm going to hang my hat on this. This is who I want to be. And it started there, like, that depression and sadness. I was having a hard time in school. I had, you know, you have low self-esteem and you're self-centered. You're off to the races with that combination. And name any person until they get into recovery. Those are the two traits of a really good addict or anyone with substance abuse disorder, which means trying to tell anyone something helpful or, you know, the truth uh, is not met by fuck you, fuck off, stay out of my life. Or uh, maybe it sounded like I work hard, I play hard. So I'm a kid and I'm thinking that way. And then scholastically, it's a problem. Uh, you're going to find this hard to believe. My dad retired when I was like in grade seven. My dad was retired. So my parents were off on trips. In 1982, um, my brother John and Peter were in charge of me in my graduating year of high school. Not exactly the most, uh, they're good guys, but uh, it was a bit lax at the Marriott House. And I missed my French oral exam. The only exam I was really going to have an easy time with. All I do is go and say my name. I was over an hour late, and they were like, no, nope, you're nope, done. Yeah. So now I cannot. My peer group is leaving me. And you want to feel low, low self-esteem and self-centered. What are you saying? Everyone else is graduating, yeah. but you weren't. I wasn't. Because you I had to take exam. a year over, and then I ended Jesus. up missing my English test. The whole test. year? The over whole missing year. one exam? You had to repeat it. Even though all I had to do was go in there and say, je m'appelle Robert Marie, yeah. I was passing that class, everything yeah, else. Because I, as I recall, because I went to PC2, yeah. if you didn't get your French, you had to go back. Exactly. Yeah. And it was French oral, which yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah, which is crazy yeah, for, for me. Marriott. For me, yeah, it was yeah. easy for me. Guess qui se passe. And now, guess qui se passe. Yeah, I'll tell you what se passe. Moi, je pense pas. And I, like I tell you, when you ask me what happened, I was, I can identify with this depression I had so much easier now than I could when I was in right. it. I just felt, always felt a little different. Well, you understand it. But when, yeah. when you're that young, is it the, wow, I drank all that beer and that made that feeling going away. It made it so feel I'm, go away for a bit. So it was I'm going to do it again. Yeah, but my solution is temporary because right. it's going to continue to hurt. And now let me feast your eyes on this nugget of information. The first cocaine I do, I'm 15, I'm in Hampstead. I have to, in, in, unless to injure them or others, which is, I can't identify the names, my friend's dad worked at Merck Frost, and he got us the cocaine. Good so it was Lord. the best cocaine wow. on earth. Forget Pablo Escobar. Right out of the lab. Yes, we were wow. right out of the lab. Wow. And he had like a giant mustard jar of it. What year was this? Nineteen. Was this? The first time I did cocaine was 1980. So this was the 80s when yeah. the, there would reportedly be bowls of it on Hollywood well, tables. Yes, well, yeah. I wasn't in right. Hollywood then. Right. Wait, my story will take me there. <laughs> okay. But, uh, it was... It was um, it was like, that's the first time I did it, and I was in love with that. I hated cannabis, hated marijuana. I couldn't stand being stoned. I don't think, I remember my brother bringing me to a Van Halen concert once, and uh, there was like this big pyrotechnics, and you know, like the bomb went off. Everyone was like, ooh, oh. and my brother said, it took like eight seconds for me to go, oh, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother was like, well, I wish it worked like that on me. I was like, no, you don't. And all I would want to do was eat. So... Like that sadness, like I talk about it today, there was a lot of fun in there. There was a lot of stuff that it seemed like it was fun, but my ability to navigate life and to mature under a normal maturation process was over. So I was 15 years old when I was 40. You know, when I finally did clean up, 
And I had this horrible feeling of like, man, I don't have a clue who I am. I don't have a clue who I'm supposed to be. My life is in fucking shambles. Like, it is terrible. I've never completed anything. I was very good hustler. So I was good at getting one thing to another, extremely good at it, to my own detriment. So when you can do that, you kind of, you're prolonging what could happen. And over years, I know now what I know is that my brothers and sisters, so I don't think my brother Peter was running this uh, this forefront, but my brothers and sisters, my sisters in particular, were like, we got to do something with this kid. And this is 10 years before. And you're the youngest, right? I'm the baby of yeah, six. Of, of six, yeah. And they were, they were just had enough. And, you know, my enabler, God bless my mom, because, you know, she was the one that I could, you know, my dad just said, yeah, go hide under her skirt there, Bob. You're going to be okay there. Uh, <laughs> you know, my dad had sort of, che- I hadn't checked out, but he was like, uh, and I tell people the story. My dad looked through me my whole life. My whole life, he just looked right through me. Didn't Old Navy guy, eh? Navy, Navy and, World War II uh, veteran, yeah, right? Exactly, and yeah. a guy that didn't, uh, he didn't uh, suffer fools too well. And uh, he wrote me a note once in high school. I didn't even read it. It was April 1st, and he said, uh, please, uh, you know, uh, Robert is late. They had to go. It says, today is April Fool's Day, and Robert is a fool. Um, and I, when I read it at the <laughs> office, everyone started laughing at me. I was like, I never looked at the note. Because I come in late, he brought me to the dentist, and he's like, okay, whatever. And that's the note he wrote. Wow. So he's a good, he was an Excellent. I had nothing but great memories of my mom and dad. Like there is no, I never heard them raise their voice at each other. You can ask any of the Maria Klein where they were in love. They was lovely. But was your dad still yeah. alive when you got sober? Yes. Nine and, years when he passed and I was oh, sober excellent. and he had got yeah. to see me, you know, he was so proud of the fact I'll that bet. he didn't understand. Uh, he knew he paid for rehab, but he thinks that they just went, they turned me off. You know, <laughs> yeah. he didn't understand the deeper parts of it. But he was really proud to tell, whereas he never was proud of me, he died at the military at the St. Anne's Hospital. Yeah. And he would tell the guys there, my son pulled himself out of the ditch. And then we come to find out later, like these family secrets, because we didn't talk about it. Substance abuse disorder was a shameful thing. You couldn't talk about it. And I had uncles that had drank themselves to death. We didn't know about it. And it turns out my, my uncle Rene didn't just like smoking three packs of players a, night, a day and, uh, and uh, drinking Cheminot brandy, you know. Uh, that's what he, he died from at 30-something years old. Jeez. So they all had this sort of, my dad had seen it firsthand, but he didn't know how to stop well, it. Well, I, I, I also think back then they didn't really talk about it, right? If no, it was a shame. Yeah, you it was a moral failing. Yeah, it wasn't a yeah, disease. Yeah, so, yeah. and again, I think that I got so lucky that I was able to get good help. Once I did, they hired an interventionist in my family, and here I am in California. I don't talk about. It, I say I had like an accident. I don't like telling people like, oh, yeah, I was shooting dope at this time, and bad things happened. I tell people as an, I ended up in an emergency room. And in a rather bad uh, situation, I had fractured my skull. I had had an overdose. There, were, there was all kinds of shit was going on. And I'm in California, and my brother John, and who was in RSP season, he was a finance guy, and my brother Mike, who these, both these guys have kids. And they're dispatched in 2004 to go get their brother in January. Um, and um, they go down, and they find me in California in a hospital. I've been in a hospital for three weeks. Like, I was messed up. Wow. And... I, my first words out of my mouth, it could happen to anybody. I just miscalculated, like just ridiculous thought, just the denial, all that. What happened? Deflecting. I ended up, you know, having an OD. And I ended up being, my mom was always, she's gone now, she can't get upset. She was like, you don't really have to talk about the hard part. And even when I got into my recovery, my mother was like, you think you could drink safely? I'm like, ma, I can't drink yeah. wine or like beer. It's over, yeah. you know? But again, she didn't know better. And like I said to you, I ended up in the hospital my brothers come to get me, and then 
I get told, you got to go to a detox. I go to a detox and... I'm Excuse a, me, Bobby. You really wake up and think, oh, I just miscalculated. Yeah, absolutely. I just did the math Completely wrong. Completely fucking... Isn't that Absolutely... Something? Just like it just, on the death hot horrible mistake, right? You just yeah. did the math wrong. You're yeah. on death's high yeah. wire, but yeah. you think, oh no no no, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do better next time. And I can remember my brother's wow. faces looking at me, and they had a job to do. They had to get me to go to treatment, and you know my job is done. Everything's fucking a disaster in California. I've packed up my stuff, and I'm like, um, okay, well I guess I could go. And my thinking is, I'm going to get people off my back. Go in there, a few weeks, zip, zip, zoom, zoom. That's it. Um, detox was hell because you're coming off opiates. You feel like shit. Your skin's crawling. You're, and they now put people on something to help that process. Or you can cold turkey. I cold turkey. Um, I'll never forget there was like gym mats in the bathroom when I arrived. Hey, what's this all about? And I said, well, you're going to find out. Um, it's like, yeah. And the guy's looking at me, I'm on the floor. Like it's, I can't tell you how awful it is. It's terrible to go through this. And like, you're basically, you're vomiting your body. The opiates are coming through your muscles and stuff. So you're punching yourself because it hurts so much. And you're go from hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. You're throwing up. Everything hurts. The capillaries in my eyes, it looked like I had big round glasses on, but it was from vomiting. And what were you detoxing from? What substances? I was at that point. My nose didn't work anymore, and I started injecting cocaine. And I started injecting cocaine. You're like, okay, might as well try heroin. And now you're doing both, and you're like, well, now I understand. This is the high standard. And I'm thinking, wow, I wasted a lot of time snorting dope. Uh, You know, this is way better. But it was terrible. And I didn't know how sick I was when I tried to slow down, and I was immediately sick. Like you were getting dope sick within six hours. From withdrawal. Yeah. So the only thing you can do is keep going. And you you know what's happening, and I was like stealing from pay, Peter to pay Paul type thing. I wasn't actually taking any from my brother Peter. Yeah, I was going to clear say, yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> can you, you have a Pete? brother Pete? Hey, Peter, yeah, yeah. Pete. you owe me, Terry. What are you doing, you owe man? Me, Terry. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh my God. But I, I like I want to tell you that it was not. I was so fucking lost that I could justify any of the behaviors. I could justify never thinking of how my actions were affecting other people, people that loved me, people that cared about me, people that told me, you know, the truth. And you have a fucking aversion to hearing the truth. You you try and mitigate how much people know about you information-wise, so now you're controlling. I used to have a book like yours just to control the fucking lies I was writing down really? so I could get it straight. Wow. Wow. And it was flip phone time when I got sober, and I remember thinking... Okay, well, I'd write notes, and you remember how hard it was to send a text message? Yeah, oh, I fuck. do. Yeah, I was writing like phone, I was yeah. like Tolstoy in <laughs> yeah. that fucking thing, putting down notes. So I never thought, I never thought to myself, "Wow, I'm a drug addict. Uh, wow, I've got a problem." I remember thinking, "I got a problem getting off this," and it was like shameful. It was like beyond shame. I was like, "How did I get myself here?" But like I said, I like to talk about the progr- The good part is that. My family ostensibly gets me through the hospital, gets me detoxed. Once I'm detoxed, they take me from California to Montreal. Okay, let me pause you right. there. Yeah. So how long? Three weeks. The gym mat and the... But that took, a, that took fr- five days, so five, six days. How? Yeah, is it five days before you start to think, oh, this is normal? Like I'm starting... You don't to feel, feel normal. You don't? No. You have, I've never had... Like I thought organs were going to come out of me. Really? From either side. That whole three weeks you're in ter- detox? No, no. The three, detox only lasted for a week. Okay. It was like a, a, what they call an acute detox today. Okay. I had a front row seat for what you now I now know to be 
you know, you go to a detox and then you go to an acute care center, okay. which is what we call rehab. Right. And so let me just say, I get through that and my brothers are there and they say, we got to take you home. I had fractured my fucking skull when I overdosed. I banged my head into a table. I banged my head so many times, like I played football when it was like, oh, you're throwing up on the field, shake it off, fourth quarter. Rips, That's when I played football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. And it was pretty bad, severe enough. I was photophobic. I don't know if you know what that is, but light was, I was wearing sunglasses. So you can imagine this kid comes back to Montreal at the end of January. And this happened on January 3rd. I don't remember the dates. It might have been the 21st. I arrived back in Montreal. And my brothers flew me. I had a visa to work. And they didn't want to come in through Canada, so they flew uh, Los Angeles to New York, New York to Burlington on JetBlue when JetBlue was yeah. and on mode. And then we we drove back in the middle of the night. I was wearing hospital pants. It was minus whatever outside. And when I got home, I'm gonna I always get emotional thinking this. My poor mother. We arrive in Beaconsfield, and my mother. It's two o'clock in the morning. I've had a long day. Um, I'm shivering. I've got a blanket around me. I've been, I'm shivering even in the hot car. My brothers were like, Bob, it's hot in here. I said, no, I'm fucking shivering. Of course, I'm still in this detox mode. And I go to, I get there and my poor mother meets me at the door and she says, oh God, you're home. And she hugs me. And I'm like, I feel this. These are the emotions I was able to alleviate through drinking and using drugs, but they're completely raw to me now. I, I appreciate that I can feel them. But I'm like, my mom's there at the door saying, you know, you're home, and she hugs me. And I'm like, mom, you know, minimalize, deflect. Oh, yeah, mom, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I go upstairs. We had a den upstairs in Beaconsfield. And I'm like, I'm exhausted. Bang, down on the couch. I wake up the next morning, and the intervention is on. And you know who's not there? My mom. They made damn sure. The guy said, that lady, you're out of here. Your phone, give it to us. Because he's going to go make an end run on you. And my mom, it wasn't that she didn't. She just knew that she didn't have it in her to do what well, needed to be done. Well, mom's your mom, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And she said that. And she was, she. I mean, by the way, by the time my brother needed help, my mom was the iron lady. You know, oh, really? She was Margaret <laughs> Thatcher. By the time my brother needed help, she was hard as hell. She had become, she had become educated on yeah. what the codependent piece was and how she was going to love him to death. Yeah. So... I go to rehab, like it happens, and I'm going around and around. I'm going around and around with this, fuck, we're going into treatment. I don't want to go. The place no longer exists. It's called Addington House. It's now Andy's House yeah. in West Ham. But it was at that point Andy's House. They did a lot of work with um, prisons, the prison system. There was a, an eclectic melange of people when I arrived there. And I arrived there, let's just say it was an auspicious start. It was... I was literally going, I just said, I'll get these people off my back. So you're rebelling. You're not, no, I am not, not rebelling like if you I, want them off I'm your back. I'm the toughest intervention I've ever, I one of the toughest I've ever seen, yeah. and I, it's my own experience. Yeah, you don't have the gift of desperation. You, I'm okay. going round and round and round saying, fuck this, fuck that, you know, this and that. And my dad said, my sister Tina and my dad were unbelievably hard on me. And my dad said, you leave here today. You do not come back. Do you understand me? Young man, do you understand me? I was like, he wasn't blinking. And I was like, okay, he'd had enough of me belly aching and bitching. It had been three hours of this. And my sister, Tina, was very upset, very emotional. And she said, you stay away from my three kids. I don't want wow. you passing on Yikes. what you've got. And she was like, you're, you're fucking dead to me type thing. I was was like, it tough love or was it just hard? It was sad. It was tough love. They knew what to do. They bottom lined yeah. me. That's what I call it. And I listened to the message, but I'm going to tell you, I went to treatment going, I'm getting them off my back. And then, you know, the crazy things that happen when you go into treatment, I started hearing immediately. I arrived on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. 
And uh, it was the weekend, nothing really happened. Um, and I was wearing my sunglasses because I was photophobic. And, you know, I'm, I'm still, uh, my skin's jaundiced because I don't have a drinking problem, by the way. The first day is a rehab. <laughs> right. There's a young girl there from the gas bay, and she's like, you're only here for drugs. Well, look at you. And Ted will tell you, people think they can leave, live the clean dream. And Anthony Bourdain was living the clean dream. And how did that end up? You cannot drink. You're no mind-altering substances. I'm there going, I just came here for a little bit of cocaine and heroin problem. You know, I don't have a problem with anything else. They're fucking laughing at me like, oh, really? Listen, uh, Captain Bob of the SS Vodka, we're having lunch on the Lido deck. I was like, I think she's insulting me. She's yeah. your fucking rehab. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm the most proper human. I'm a bit offended by what this girl is telling me. Again, goes to the truth. And... It started there the next night, and a, a guy came in who you know from the rooms, and he's a lovely human being, and he has struggled greatly, and I can say his name because he's cool with it, is Reno. I won't say his last name, but Reno comes in. He's got both arms. He's Italian. He's like, can't fucking communicate. Both arms are in casts. <laughs> and he's my roommate, and he's a very large man. And uh, he got me on my knees. He said, you're going to read this third step prayer. And I was like, I'm not fucking praying. This is a God thing. I'm not doing it. Fuck this. Fuck that. He said, quit it. You act like he owes you money. <laughs> it's like, I just don't want anything to do with that. And he said, you're in rehab. Just fake it till you make it. And I was what does that mean? Like I was, you know, I didn't know any of the education piece to this. And then sure as shit I did. And I started to sort of hear the day one of therapy. This guy, there's 15 people in the group. And this guy, I'm like, how does he know so much about me? I'm astounded. He knows everything about me. And he said, your mom tell you you were special your whole life? I said, yeah. Is this a counselor? Yeah. And he said, she lied. <laughs> You're a garden variety addict. There's nothing remarkable about you. And I remember thinking, that's a tough pill to swallow. But he really knew all of these behaviors. Like 99% of what he was saying, I was like, check done, check done, check done. I was like, okay. So I sort of saw it there for the first time. And about four or five days later, I was in group and they were going at it, circular, circular, what they call a process group. And I just started talking about, remember the fucking Dairy Queen on St. Charles Road? Down I sure there? do. Yeah, that yeah. was the only one in the West yeah. Island. Yeah. Uh, there might have went on sources too. I stand corrected. But one on St. Charles, I remember going there that night. It's an interesting story because Johnny Rogers was there wearing a fur coat. <laughs> Johnny Rogers in the outdoor. He looked like a pimp. And my dad got us all ice creams and I was out of the country squire. And this is what I go on to tell the story because it's so interesting. Uh, I dropped my cone and I was inconsolable. He didn't say, you f dumb fuck. He didn't say anything. He said, Bob, I'll go get another one. And I was inconsolable. He gave me another cone. And that story comes out of me unprompted and I start crying. I'm like, Wah. you know, I'm like, I don't know where it's like primal feeling inside me. How old? How old was I when this yeah. happened? Five. It would have been 1970. Yeah. And this old crusty doctor from Boston, or uh, uh, Catherine, I don't remember her last name, and she ended up dying. She drank herself to death. But she was like, she had been to Betty Ford, been to all these rehabs. She said, I just witnessed you get sober, you know, like while she was chewing on cigarettes and the nicotine uh, patch and everything else. And I was like, what happened? And Reno said, man, you don't know, but that was really powerful in there. And I was like, really? You think so? But something changed from that little speech where I became willing and in a big hurry. I was like, I got to do this right. 
I ha cannot, I don't want to come back here. There was a piss pad on my bed that crinkled that night. I was like, I never want to come back here. And it really started just there. Like, there was no fanfare. There was no hope. There was little, little, there were, the, the odds of me coming out of this to where I'm at today were slim. But then but again, you're conscious of that turning point. Yeah, oh, super. It was there. Absolutely. Motivation. It was there. I poured myself into this. Yeah. And I knew it. Like, I was like, I can't come in second best here. Like, I, I have to. And I'm competitive. And I turned my competitive issues into this. I was like, I got to get good at this. This is good enough as not working for me. And I didn't want to live this way anymore. Like, I knew I'd been lying to. Like, there was never. There was the truth and the truth. Right. You know, there were two versions. I needed those to be. I didn't know how sad and broken I was until that moment, and I didn't know how much work there was to begin there. When people tell me, you think you quit drinking, all I have to do is quit drinking, well, you're still the fucking problem. And people that, oh, I quit drinking, it wasn't that hard. I've got this. One of my favorite things to hear in a meeting, I'm yeah. like, pack a lunch. Like, you're yeah. done if you think you've licked this. But the process of getting better started there, and then I really threw myself into, like, I wanted to do everything right. I wanted to get a sponsor, do my steps. I wanted to dig at this therapy piece and do it. So, so when you on, leave there... Well, here, that's the story. At 42 days, yeah. we're the Sunday of uh, St. Patty's Day's Parade. And the, the guy comes in and says, you have to stay an extra month. They've told me it's a two-month program. I'm six weeks in. You have to take an extra month here of transition. You'll need to ride the bus and to do this. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not the deal. Now I've dug in. They call this taking your will back. Um, they said, you have to go get a job at Java U on Monkland. I said, not happening. Not a fucking chance am I going to do that. They threw me out. They gave me one hour to think about it. I said, no. They gave me my iron suitcase. They literally put everything in a garbage bag. And wow. they threw me out the front door. Wow. And then they told my family, you'll be begging us to take him back in 48 hours. He won't last. Terry, Ted, I'm the most spiteful motherfucker you've ever met in your life. <laughs> and spite motivated me. Um, and like these little things. Ted, you ran into me in Bay Durfee with your kids shopping on a Sunday night. I would just gotten out. I was waiting. It was April. They had lost my passport. And I have now made the decision. I'm going to South Beach, and I'm going to live in a sober house there. I've got a couple of bucks. So when you this. leave there, you think, I'll show you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah. and I go into meetings, and it took about a month to get a new passport. And when I do go, I leave on Hitler's birthday, April 20th, back to <laughs> Miami. It's a great time to leave. I'll never forget okay. it. I arrived on meeting. So we're on Terry's like, birthday. Yeah, yeah. I'm on Hitler's birthday. Great. I go there and my mother signs off on this and the rest of the family is like, you just let him off the hook. My brother John to this day says, you owe me a month at Addington, you know, 19 <laughs> years sober. But the reality is that spite motivated me like nobody's business because I was not going to be fucking denied. And my mother said, like, You're the, I'm the only person you got here. Like, my dad's not talking to me, no one is. But I've got some money and I go to Miami and I go to a sober living. And Ted, you were just there. You mm -hmm. came to visit me last weekend. The recovery's top-notch. Yep. Uh, they have a home that they set up in there, and I get to start living this way, and I see so much hope in so many guys that have what I want. They're living their lives. They have multiple years, double-digit recovery, and they're cool dudes. They're not missing anything. This My is, relationship. This know? is interesting. Yeah. Um, let's get back to South Beach in just a moment yes. because this is an interesting part of the story to me, but we have to take a moment to thank Sugar Sammy. We do. Um, I, I I was really, really 
quite excited and, and quite pleased and a little bit surprised when uh, Sammy called me and he said, tell me about your podcast. And we tried, I have to say, we tried to get him to be part of season six. But as you know, um, he puts tickets on sale and they sell out right away. And he's currently on tour across the country. As a matter of fact, when I get back to British Columbia at the, uh, at the, um, the almost the end of October, um, I'm going to go see his show out there. It's really interesting. He's doing French shows in places like Calgary and Vancouver, Winnipeg, uh, you know, places where there are small French populations. He's, he's taken his unbelievable comedy show that you and I saw just yeah. months ago um, on the road. And I know you have notes there, Ted, there. You've got dates and the fact that these things are selling quickly. 2023 is sold out. Oops. Yeah, okay. you're, not, you're not going this year. <laughs> you're shit out of luck. You're not going this year. 2023 <laughs> is sold out. He has added dates in 2024. Guess what? January sold out. Okay. There are February shows, though, uh, but tickets are going fast. So go to sugarsammy.com for your tickets. You know why I think, why I think part of the reason Sammy called you is he doesn't forget... Yeah. Before Sammy was anybody, before he was Sugar Sammy, uh, we saw him. I don't know where we saw him, but we saw him one night, and uh, Terry and I said to each other, that kid's funny. We, we should have him on the morning show while yeah. we were still at show. And we had him on the morning show, and uh, it generated some ticket sales for him. He has never forgotten That's true. that. Yeah. He has never forgotten that. That's the kind of person he is. Yeah. He doesn't forget. He's not. He hasn't become a big star. No, 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 who's no, too good no. for the people no. uh, from uh, from yesteryear. On the contrary, he remembers who helped him out along the he, way. He's sold millions, literally millions of tickets in this country. He's become a huge star in France. Huge star from the you know the the French version of America's Got Talent. He's one of the one of the one, judges, one of the judges yeah. and and is just hilarious. You can find it all on YouTube. Sugarsammy.com. This particular show he's doing, this bilingual show, no one is spared. <laughs> no. We we saw the show and no one is spared, and it's just unbelievably funny. If you've never had a chance to see him. Do yourself a favor and get to sugarsammy.com and make sure you find a date that works for you and go see this much-talked-about show with our thanks to Sugar Sammy. Have you seen him, Bob? Uh, Kaz, you know where you yeah. guys saw him? At Bourbon West. That's where you first saw him. Right? He yeah. used to come and do Wednesday really? nights there. Yeah, he was just like everyone else trying yeah, yeah, to hang out, yeah. you know, like that Montreal. Uh, Steve Trainer had yeah. really worked hard with Ernie Butler in the early years to make that work on Wednesday nights, and that's where I first saw him. And he was always super happy. Yeah, well, he, he, t- he tells a great story of of uh, uh, taking the bus to his gigs. He would, like, he'd take the bus. He'd jump on the 105 or whatever yeah, and, right. you know, shoot up St. Catherine. Yeah, you and, mentioned Ernie. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. And, 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 yeah, and, and, uh, and after we had him on... Uh, apparently he got recognized, and he thought, "Oh, there's there's something going on here with this radio." Well, he thing. used to joke about how people would call up and go, "Yeah, that guy was on with Terry and Ted, super packy. Where do I get tickets for him?" <laughs> Sorry, you wanted Funny to mention guy. Ernie? Yeah, you you brought up Ernie Butler's yeah. name. Ernie was a, a Montreal comedian, a founder of the Comedy Club, actually, a vener uh, co- the Comedy Nest, a venerable Montreal comedy club. My first kick at the sobriety can, Ernie took me under his wing. Mm. And that was 1994. As a matter of fact, uh, the day that we're recording this, I would have been 29 years sober two days ago if I had stuck. But I didn't 
because I was exhibiting a lot of the behaviors Bob was talking about. I'll be okay. Yeah. I'm that, fine. I don't need this. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got slip? this. Yeah. Is that what you call that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You guys, your steps are very quaint. Yeah. And good for you guys <laughs> it's doing called your terminal uniqueness. Steps. Okay. Exactly. That's what it's yeah. called. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I lasted 14 months not doing anything that you're supposed to do yeah. in recovery. And I ended up going back out again. And Ernie had, uh, had be, uh, well, I was already friends with him, but he took me under his wing through this period. And one thing I'll always remember about him, and God, God rest his soul, he passed away about, uh, well, he passed away in 2007. Mm-hmm. I think. But I'll always remember Ernie, when I went back out, he didn't say, you'll be sorry. No. And when I came back in, he didn't say, I told you so. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always felt a little guilty about that because I remember being at your house and you, I either brought beer or you asked me to bring beer and I was like, um, aren't you? And you did that. You went, yeah, 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 yeah. It's no, okay. what I'm it's saying, okay. what I'm saying when I do it this time oh, though is I, that's not on you. No, no, no. no, no I, that's I on me. But I always felt bad about that. I thought, oh, it was, it was like I, you know, I put ice down and you, <laughs> you, you tripped over. No, no, anyway, yeah. listen, I want to. It's not Terry's fault. No, okay. it's, it's no, not your fault. slips are a long time yeah. in the making. Yeah. They're okay. a long They're time in the making. Voyages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. I need to ask you. Uh, uh, now that this explains your tan, I need, I need to ask you about. Why South Beach? Like, it, it sounds like you went, mm, South Beach. I wanted to... Or did you know really, there was something there? No, okay. I had no idea. It was like, you know, if I'm going to be in April in Montreal, it's still not nice. And, you know, I joke now, the cornerstone of my sobriety is my tan. I have not <laughs> lost my tan since I got sober. I haven't. And people laugh, like, you know, and, it, and you know, it's fast forward to... And first, before I go further, Ernie Butler... Used to see me at Grumpy's. He'd either play backgammon with Robbie Braid, or in, he was always in the back there, or with Nick Oftemeyer and stuff. And I was there hanging out with, you know, whatever, leaving there at seven o'clock in the morning. And Ernie, when I came in, was nothing but gracious to me. He's like, "You're still alive." And <laughs> 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 and I don't know what meeting. And then he was super nice to me. Like he called me and checked up on me, and I told him. And that was like my first year. And like I said, you were like. We knew each other, but it was like, fuck, I'm on a, Bob's radioactive, you know? I think Shom used to text 666. <laughs> uh, I'm not joking either. Like, the, I think if you call Jen Roman, she's like, yeah, if you showed up at an event, oh, yeah, We should explain. We haven't, yeah. we haven't mentioned it. Everybody knows who Pete Mary is, yeah. and we work with Pete. Pete's still at Shom, and, and Pete is Bobby's brother. Mm-hmm. And so there was, you know, in the days when radio was a big deal, right. and and. There was a lot of promotions and a lot of congregations together. Yeah, yes. And there, there was a lot of interaction. Right. We would pass. Our uh, people were all like, and think of yeah. like Tim Ellis or, uh, you know, all these old bartenders yeah. and stuff yeah. like that, that we all yeah, knew we all, each other. Yeah. Paul Massey was a dear friend of yeah. yours and dear friend yeah. of mine. Yeah. And Steve Trainer and that. Like, I, again, talk about guys that had my back when I got sober. These guys, I, Paul, Paul especially used to call me and say, you know, if you could ever harness that power, that line I'd heard my whole life. So you asked me how South Beach. Yeah. I go down there because I want to be in the warmth. I have no idea of the program I've signed up for, other than the fact that it's a sober living. It fits all the boxes I need. I can have therapy and group therapy as well as all the AA and fellowship meetings I want. There's a clubhouse. I mean, now it's gone full circle. I live less than a half a kilometer from this place. Um, but I go down there, and the level of recovery is high. I mean, they are thrown down at a high level, and it caught on there. And I think that I started to do a lot of therapy on, you know, what had gone wrong, when I started feeling less than, all that sort of stuff that took years to pull the shit out of me. 
um, to, to the stuff where I was blocking stuff and I had a therapist and she said, you know, I might have to take a break from therapy for a while, but when you're ready to tell me everything. And she was like, I said, but I'm telling you everything. <laughs> no, you're not. You know when you're going to be ready. And I remember thinking, wow, that's crazy. And I took to the therapeutic process. I'm highly processed now. I've evolved emotionally. Like, it's crazy. I was like in my, we have like the Marriott, a sick bunch of people because we had like a ranking system. And before my dad died, I was like 1A. Tina was 1D or maybe I was 1D. But by the time my mom died, I had grabbed the baton. Uh, it was my turn. Um, but I had been successful enough in my recovery that it started to happen very quickly. I didn't have a lot of time to, uh, to when I went to South Beach, I immediately fell in love with the place, the recovery and that. And then I sort of made it like my home base. I started working very humbly when I got out of there. I just got a job. I needed to hustle. Man, it's crazy. I'm, the hustler gins, I, I didn't care what I was doing as long as I was making money. What, what were you doing when you first? When I first got out, I got a job with this, an experiential marketing thing. Do you remember the, you guys remember this? The first year sober, I did the Mexican beach, those experiences. There was like a live beach. I'd park it on St. Catherine oh, Street. Oh, yeah, I do Beyond remember Beyond your expectations. These. Yeah. Of course, yeah. the hustler and me, I produced yeah. the events, live events, Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. I had learned a few things when I'd been in California about production. So they trusted me with this, a marketing company. And I took it and I made a bundle of money in, a, in one month. It was an amazing job. And I was able to go right back to South Beach and live for the, I rented a place that winter. So I was able to get these jobs and sort of articulate them. And really, I wasn't spending everything I made to destroy myself, which was shocking how much money I spent on, you know, drugs and alcohol. And once I stopped, it became pretty easy. I did settled all my accounts with the government. I took care of business. I got arrested in my first year for shit I had done in the 90s. Like, it was crazy. And I did not drink. In 2004, Everything that could possibly be thrown at someone that's new in recovery happened to and me. And that's your first year of sobriety, yeah. 2004. And, and then I faced the music. I stayed. We just, the lawyer did the continuance on these charges. I had fraudulently taken $100,000 from American Airlines while they were filming the movie Snake Eyes in Montreal. I Ooh. was in charge of logistics. Oh. And when the production closed, I was like, man, there's still all this money in the account. And American hasn't cashed the checks. Guess I'll write one to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 96. And are you in sobriety at this point? No, no, this was oh, 96. Okay. Right, okay, and then okay. eight years later, I'm paying the piper for that. Yes. I get stopped. I had gotten, a, I, I became, like I said, I had nice cars. I had, the, remember the Chrysler 300 came out in 2004. Mm -hmm. I had one of the first ones in Montreal. I was driving. I went to a CA meeting on a Sunday night, and I'm driving over after 32nd Avenue. I'm roasting there's no one on the road and the engine blows like the hood comes right up the car's on fire like pistons are out like i'm pulled to the side of the brand road. new car brand new car and i pulled to the side of the road and the qpp shows up and they're super dignified with me hey uh there's a bench warrant for your arrest and i'm like oh what could that be i know damn well what it is and i'm like oh okay wonder what this could be fiddly and then they take me to the qpp places where ikea was and it's quite nice. I'm comfortable there. And then they call the they call the MUC cops who pick me up and throw me in the back of a urine infested feces infested van and throw me into the cold. And it was December sixth, and I, I got I remember dates, and um, I got charged with all these charges. And this was from the Snake Eyes hundred yeah, grand yeah. thing. Yeah, it was a hundred grand. Lived well on that. Yeah. It lasted me a good yeah. year. I was living high on the hog. Not really successful. No, I stole Paid the order money. of me. <laughs> yes. So what was the what was the upshot of all that? Um, 
I took three years to go through the courts. I stayed sober. I really had to stay sober. There was no fucking around. And I'll never forget it. After three years, I had letters from the priest and some people I had helped, and I had a very big businessman that I had helped and, you know, wrote these lovely ringing endorsements. And, you know, kind of like no one would ever speak of me this way before. And the judge said, okay, uh, whatever that day my, my lawyer had made a deal, and he said, we've got him. We, we're good. We're getting an absolute discharge. I said, is that good? He said, you have to elocute in, in court and say you're guilty of this, but he's going to remove it immediately. And you have a peace bond for two years. He goes, this is the best outcome you could ever get. You were looking at trouble here. And I owed American Airlines all that money. I had made restitution over those three years. I kept giving them $1,000, whatever I could afford. It ended up being almost $40,000. But American Airlines was in receivership in 2007, and they were only taking 25 cents on the dollar. And the judge, French Canadian judge, well, what the hell? 25 cents on the dollar. He's paid his fuck. Fine. No problem. Drop the gavel and done. So there's... God is doing for us what, what I we could, could not, not do, do for myself. Ourselves. And that was it. Well, and I, my lawyer turned to me and said, don't get into any more trouble because I'm not helping you anymore. My lawyer was my brother-in-law. Um, and I said, okay. And I felt pretty good about myself after that. Like it was like one last thing. I'd straighten out shit with the tax man. Everything was sorted out. So you start to feel whole again. Um, I didn't become an interventionist until, it's important to know this, I was six years into this. I get did, married, and so, I, what's that? Sorry, did any of your trouble, your legal trouble, interfere with your time going back and forth no, to South Beach? Nothing. No. Okay, I got everything good, except yeah. the weekend I was getting married, uh, and you know, only have, at the Sagamore in upstate New York, I only have you know, 150 people coming. They flagged me, and the guy came in. I said, like, I'm getting married. He said, well, you're going to have to do it. And then I had to go get a, a background check and everything. And then, again, God is doing for us. We're not doing, it's an expression because if you do all your part in this and you leave it in the hands of whoever that is, things will work out all right. And I never went back to the border three months later because I was, I was basically thinking I was never going back in the States. Yeah. I had all the paper done. I had gone through that peace bond, like the time, and they, the lady said, she said, congratulations, you never have a problem again. She winked at me and that was it. It was done. Well, Today, I don't know if I would get through this. I would have to do like a lot more legal tease to do right. it. But it's been fine since. And I, I you know, don't think I wasn't grateful that that had happened. Um, my business, like I said, I didn't, I didn't start doing this. I get married six years into my recovery, meet a lovely girl from Westmount, get married. She's watching Intervention at night. She's in recovery, too. And she's like, you know what? You're a hell of a lot more. Uh, you're Because she would call it a cottage industry. I was working with her in marketing at the time. She said, you're taking more calls helping people than you are doing your job. You just do your job to feed you. you don't helping people about, in recovery. Yeah. Helping and I was like, really, addicts. I don't. I, I said, I barely graduated from high school. I can't do what you And she did all the research. And she said, no, you can do this. And I went and got trained. And getting trained is one thing. And getting a bit of paper behind your name. Because you need paper to get insurance. Like, there's a lot of liability here. And I went and got trained, and the guy was, like, venerable, the best, Earl Hightower and this Johnson. He said, like, you got what it takes. And I said, yeah, you say that to all the girls. And he said, I've never said that to anyone in my life. I've been training people for 20 years. So I felt kind of this good about that. This is training as an interventionist. Yeah. And then, like, I didn't know. Was, you got to become a student of the game. It's not... I want you to think of going to a front door, and you're doing an act, and you've prepared everyone, but it is, you know, it's a surprise, and everyone's like, you're fucking ambushing me, and I'm uh, and yelling and screaming, and I've never raised my voice in intervention. I've been yelled at, spit at, pointed guns at, like everything happened to me. And I remain calm, and I go do my job. I've done it over 800 times. You do your job. But when I came into this, like I didn't, 
I find people see me and they, they, everyone sees the end product now. Like, look, how he's doing well. He's doing, there was so much work to get here. Well, I, that's, I, w- I would love to know that story, Bobby, yeah. of you, you, you decide to become an infrastructure. Well, she intro- sends me off. She right. sees it more than I do. And you get trained. Yeah. And now what do you do? Then do I you come pick, home. But do you pick up the phone? Do, like, I think Do you I'm cold smart. call people? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm do calling, you really? I'm eh? calling. I'm calling. I'm like, I'm smart. I'm wow. going to call like. HR companies are going to need me. And then a friend of my, uh, a friend of an old girlfriend of mine works at McKesson, who is probably responsible for more of the drug uh, trade, like uh, the, the opiates than anyone else. But she says to me, she's a head of HR. And she says, they're never going to hire you. We're never going to call you from the executive office because the liability becomes ours. Uh, so I've been wasting okay. money there. And really the, ra- the reality is word of mouth and you build it through a network of End users. End users are therapists, doctors, lawyers. And I was been I really misguided in some of the ways of how to do it. And I don't want to be chasing an ambulance here. No, no. I don't no. want to be a carpet no. bagger. There's guys that do what I do, guys, and they'll say, like, your kid's gonna die if you don't hire me. I've never said that in my life. I get to say who, when, how much, and how we're doing it. When someone calls me and tells me how I'm gonna do my job, I'm saying, I'm really sorry, but I can't work that way. I work this way. And it's the it's the honest way. It's the way it's supposed to be. Do you remember your first? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would imagine. And uh, he's doing all right. He had a bit of. Uh, uh, here's what's crazy. Was it the scary? First one. Yeah, it was. I was intimidated. And then it was my third that I went up the street, and it was in Westmount. And uh, I came home, and I got my ass handed to me by the mother. It wasn't even the wow. wasn't even the two kids. I was there to work. I won't use any names. Um, and I come back down the street. I said, well, I'm crazy. I just blew $100,000. I can't do this. And Fern, my wife at the time, was furious at me. She said, I did not marry this mouse. And go back up there. Some lady that worked in a mental hospital in the 50s and 60s told you how this works. That's not who you are. Go there and be Bob. And I'll never forget. She said, give her two barrels of Bob. You're good at that. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. And I was like leaving there going, if I don't do it, I can't go home. It was like between us. And let's go back in there. And I went in there and said, lady, shut up. I forgot more about alcohol and drugs than you've ever known. So let's see. And, and I got to the And problem. you're helping her two kids? Yeah. And both of them are in recovery now. And they're both. Adult children? Yeah, they're I adult assume, children. Yeah. yeah. And they were both like, you know, these, a lot of, unfortunately, people that are wealthy, people that have it easier, have a harder time with, yeah. they don't have distress tolerance. They don't know what it's like to hustle. Well, and, I spoke earlier yeah. about the gift of desperation yeah. when you've got substantial material resources to fall back on. I'm guessing that you don't get that gift of desperation no. is easily made. And you often have an enabler in that that just wants to make the problem go away, which is then making it worse. So make no mistake. Do you keep in touch with your yeah, clients? Yeah, it's crazy. You, I'm, you, I follow up pretty well everyone. You do, and some eh? I don't hear from for long periods Does of time. Does that scare you when you don't hear from them? Do Only you, one. Think- I was in, I, I, I got a call during year one of the pandemic in Mowada, Louisiana. You can see that on the phone and I knew Casey had died. I knew that oh, call man. was coming. I knew, well, I knew it. And I picked yeah. up the phone and the parents are like saying, thank you for bringing him back to us for a year or stuff like that. Well, it's like, I never, I'm like, oh God. Bobby, I guess, you, sorry, Terry. Huh? I, I guess that's inevitable. Yeah. yeah. Like it, there's, there's not going mean, to be a, a 100% success rate. Right? The success rate's there, but a relapse isn't. Like I can get them into treatment and make them do that. The case management, it's not it's not coaching as much as it's case management. And I have a whole army of guys that work for me that manage cases. So to follow up. When I went to treatment, I came home and everyone's like, oh, he's out now. Let's poke him with the thing. Is right. he okay? Like well, taking him out this, of that. This is what I was going to ask you. Where Do you remember a time, especially when, you know, you said you went to Montreal, Vancouver, yeah. 
you're doing these little productions, the money was rolling in, you rented a house. Was there any a time where you thought, hmm, no. good for you? Okay, the first two years. Tempted is what, I guess I, what I, I'm asking. Turned down Crescent Street. We're a place where I didn't drink, really. Yeah. I was over on Mackay or on, you know, I was right. never on Crescent Street. I Mackay or turned down Exactly. But <laughs> yeah. I remember turning down the street thinking, I, and I, my sponsor is a plumbing contractor here in Montreal. He's extremely gruff. Same guy for 19 years. He's, he's not genteel with me by any means. And I called him up and said, you think one day I might be able to go out for a date with a girl and have wine on the terrace? And he said, you never drank like a lady in your life, you idiot. You know, the past, like, as soon as the thought was in my head, I got the hard reality of what it was because there's this seduction that things that, hey, you know what, I'm okay now. Things yeah. are all right. Yeah. And well, I've that, never those are the most dangerous yeah. times. When yeah. things are good, yeah. in my yeah. experience, that's when you're at the greatest risk when yeah. things are good. And it's, I've been steady for that. Maybe. It's really it's fascinating to me because I you know, I, I I never reached a point where, you know, I've my drinking I think got out of hand when I was in my We partied hard when we yeah. were younger, yeah. but you were able to dial it back. Yeah, and and but in I must confess in my fifties my drinking got really bad, but I never I was able to sort of pull back and go, okay, this, you know, and also I had the love of a good woman that, yeah. you know, put me put me back on my feet. So it's hard for me to understand the 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 battle that you guys go through. You know, the the it's not for I can give it to you. Um, next time you turn the radio on in your car, turn it on full blast and tear off the fucking knob. <laughs> <laughs> What's what's the point? Once it's on, ain't gotcha. turning it off. Gotcha. And that's okay. how I drink. That, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. destination. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. It's a, like okay. you know, it's it's yeah. interesting because that's how I drink. But we, it's not a struggle now. No, 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 no. And, 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 and I get that from you, having yeah. known you all these years. There is a um, a piece about you. There is a uh, what's the word? It's a, serenity. A serenity. Thank you. It's not just, always. No, 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 no. no <laughs> but, serenity now. But, but, yeah, but by and large, you're you know you're a lot more you know serene and and easygoing and and accepting of and proud well, of. Well, acceptance your, is if you read the, the yeah. big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page four seventeen. Yeah. Acceptance, okay. acceptance is the key. And I would also like to say while we're talking about this. Uh, and I think Bob would agree with this. A lot of people from outside look at AA and they go, oh, fucking AA. It's a religious cult. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. No. It's a spiritual mm -hmm. program. It's not a religious program. It's a spiritual program. The difference is religion is dogma. Mm -hmm. If you do not do A, the consequences will be right. B, whereas AA is a suggested program of recovery. This is This is what we suggest you do. This is what worked for us. If you want to do it, fantastic. If you want to go back out and experiment, there's the door. We'll be here when you come back. You know, Moses didn't go up on the on the mountain with the, with the ten suggestions, right? No, I, and they, that's it. And nobody I, graduates. I want to. Yeah. I want to talk about um, uh, signs, advice, and and vice. I want to hear the vice story, yeah. but we have to stop to thank a couple more of our supporters, our sponsors, and that includes um, the people that have been with us from the very beginning. Uh, Jaguar, Land Rover, Laval. They're back, and I'm thrilled. Yeah, Nino and uh, Renato DiCubellis and their marketing manager, Adrian McGrath, have been the biggest supporters uh, of this podcast since the get-go. And uh, They didn't hesitate. No, they didn't. Not for a minute. As a matter of fact, Adrian said to me, and I'll tell the story again about uh, when I first approached Adrian about being a sponsor on the podcast, I called her up and I said, Adrian, it's Ted Bird calling. 
I'm on the 13 and I just passed a beautiful Jaguar and it made me think of you, not because it was a Jaguar, but because it was beautiful. Mm. <laughs> okay. There you go. All right. Hi, Ted. And she said, oh, bullshit. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> so she said right away, I yeah. said, you know, we're looking for sponsors for the podcast. Yeah. And she said, I'll talk to Renato and Nino and don't you dare approach Anybody another else. car dealership yeah. uh, until you've uh, talked at length. Yeah, and every time we do the podcast, we get a new car. That's right. We're going. <laughs> we're going after this one to get a uh, uh, to get. They, they give us a courtesy car, yeah, so I do. can Terry. Yeah. I can ferry Terry. Uh, yeah. all around town. Adrian told me that uh, they are fully stocked right now <coughs> with me. Land Rover Defenders and uh, with the Jaguar F Pace. And now is the time to buy. If you buy before the end of the year, you can take advantage of manufacturer warranties. Bob, I know that you're uh, a Land Rover Range Rover driver. I think you should uh, try out uh, the, uh, the which which F-Pace is it, Poseidon, the one with 550 horsepower? Uh, mm -hmm. Poseidon fell asleep. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> the the F-Pace uh, SVR. SVR. Yeah. SVR. SVR. 550 yeah, horsepower. Yeah, yeah. I've actually, you know what's crazy is that there's one, I, I've, I drive the big Range Rover now, the, they call it the... Uh, the long wheelbase. Um, the joke at the uh, dealership is, oh, it's the Lord of the Manor car. <laughs> we don't know about that, but it's my third one. I love driving it. They're an experience. I heard I you think. say, Bobby, it's the nicest vehicle you've ever driven. Yeah. Eh? I want you to get in it and drive it, yeah. any of you. Yeah. And people, you get in the seat and you're like, what the hell? Man, you can drive wow. to Toronto in the blink of an eye. It's got a fantastic sound system. It's on an air ride. So it's really, wow. really comfortable. And my car has that engine so it's the same okay. oh it's the same engine yeah, as the so jag absolutely yeah, yeah. Oh, i didn't know it's the that same yeah. engine they 550 parts. horsepower 550 mm -hmm. horsepower it's got um it's a supercharged v8 yeah. so it's not a it's not a, it's really good on gas pass anything um, on the road yeah. except a gas station exactly yeah. it's really good on gas i don't really think of it that way but i'm you know it, it is some of the things that gifts of my sobriety have given me is a much better life right. um way better than i ever thought possible uh my, you know, I own a home. Uh, that was like insane to me, uh, even yeah. stuff like that. And I bought in, I bought in St. Henry in 2010. And um, my brother who handles money for a living, now I got to take a shot at John, but uh, I don't know if you can recover from living in St. Henry. My God, um, <laughs> did that change? And, and I remember the escapades, the escapades that you were going through. Yeah. I don't have high rise buildings yeah. near me. It's, yeah. it's very, it's Good peaceful. Yeah. It's not uh, Griffin town where uh, the vertical yeah. integration has taken over. Well, there's a Land Rover uh, endorsement from uh, someone yeah. who's, how many have you had? This is my fourth one. Nice. Yeah. Nice. LandRoverLaval.ca, Jaguar Val.ca and thanks again to them for coming back on board as a sponsor. And I know we always talk about family businesses and uh, back for another season are our friends at the Merson. It's new generation of the Merson family that's now running it, Kara and Salso. And I love you got in touch with Kara. I think it was just last week, and and you said, "Is there anything you want us to talk about?" Yeah, give and, me some talking points, yeah. Kara. And she <laughs> she sent me back a note: same old, same old, same old, same old. <laughs> same stuff you've been saying about us for thirty years. Well, and it's the same stuff they've been doing for thirty yeah. years. That's why they've been around so long. Um, we talk about it all the time. Uh, we're recording this as winter approaches. Um, it's a place to store your winter tires. It's a place to buy winter tires. It's a place where 
you take your car when you have that knock you can't find, when you need an oil change, when you think the transmission might be slipping or your brakes are making a funny noise, you take it to a family that you can trust. They never, ever, ever do work that's unnecessary. And they've built this amazing reputation in Montreal that we've been talking about for as long as Ted and I have been together. <laughs> <laughs> That was creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Mersons, um, the comfortable waiting room, the familiar faces at the counter, it's it hasn't changed in a long time. And there's a reason for that. It works. Yeah. That's why people always seek out the Mersons. Third generation family yeah. business around since 1970. Ben Merson yeah. started it. Mark Merson and Bonnie Merson continued it. And now Celso and Kara Merson. MersonAuto.com, or if you want to visit in person, that's the best way to do it, by the way. I love that family. Just past the corner of St. Jacques and Cavendish. And as Mark liked to say, you'll always find the owner at the counter. That's right. Yep. Um, Bobby, let's uh, let's talk about, because um, uh, I want to talk about uh, or ask you questions about people that may be listening to the podcast and thinking, we've got a family member, blah, blah, blah. We'll get to that. I'm interested about what you, you talked about. I don't know if the mics were on when we talked about this. About Vice? About the Vice documentary. Yeah. How did that come to pass? Let's start first with um, the business. Because the, biz, the the Vice came after the business right, was started, right, right? right? It did. Yeah. When and how did you start the business Hired Sobriety? Well, that was... I had been working for a, a, another outfit, and I was a privateer, which is like... All of my employees, except for two, are on are people that come to me and work. They need the work. I bid it off, and then I vetted everyone that works for me. I pretty well trained ninety percent of everyone that works for me. But when I was working for him, um, I started getting these jobs and stuff. And this guy was basically what you're like a broker to the recovery guy because he's gotten the calls and the jobs. Once I had built a big enough paper route, I knew. But it's culminated in the Rob Ford deal, which. They were looking for someone. I mean, it was we were all talking about Rob it. We Ford were all being new. the former mayor yeah. of Toronto yeah. who yeah. had a substance yeah. abuse problem, and, and Bob became yeah. his. And it can, I, could have, I would have loved to seen either YouTube's faces when he went fucking Mary. Oh my god, <laughs> I could have loved to have seen that. Yeah, but, but I knew you were in recovery, yeah. so it made sense to yeah. me. Yeah. I was just like, holy Jesus, Bob yeah. Mary yeah. is yeah. Uh, well, because yeah. that, that story became an international yeah. story. Oh, was yeah. on, it was on the late night talk shows almost yeah. every night. You almost punched some guy out, didn't you? That's. Jimmy Kimmel had a ball with that yeah. story. Jimmy was really good to him. Was he? And he was friends with him and kept in touch with him. Wow. I have a, I had a call. Matt Lauer was always in touch with him. And we had a guy from NBC that basically stayed there. It was such big American news. Uh, Don Wood. And you can look him up. He's a big producer for NBC and the Today Show. And I became friends with these guys because they were around. I did not know the three-ring circus I was entering. Um, I knew it was a big job. And I remember getting it. Like, there was an interview process we went down there, and he wasn't in great shape when I went to that treatment center. I was like, holy shit, what am I doing here? And I, again, go back to the two barrels of Bob. I didn't hold back. He was in rough shape. He's in treatment. He's not taking it seriously. And I said, you're leaving here in 20 days. You're going to shit the bed. You think people are laughing at you now? I just let him have it. And I was the only guy. He told me afterwards that everyone else came in here and tried to fucking you know, inside track me and yeah, kiss man. my ass because you were like mad at me. I said, yeah, I was mad that you had wasted my time. That was June 18th. So it was 12 days before he was getting out. Um, and it was my wedding anniversary. That's why I remember the date. And I remember going up there and going, it was like the worst storm ever. And Muskoka is a fucking scrape to get to. I'm amazed that people make, 
we got a pretty good highway yeah, to go up north. They do that every that's weekend. A that's hard crazy. Road. Yeah. And I remember getting there, and like I said, I got it in, and I let him have it. And I was driving back out in terrible weather, thunderstorm, lightning, everything. And I was behind the truck that had like a giant um, uh, excavation truck, and a giant rock falls off the oh, truck. Oh, Christ. And fuck, I banged right into it. The wheels busted, the rim, like the bottom table, the car. I had a brand new BMW X3, and it's, it's like it's finished. It's got 3,000 kilometers on it. It's like furious. It's pouring rain. Like, where's the liquid drain? Oh, insane how mad I was. The phone rings, and it's my now ex-wife, but Fern says, so what happened? I said, oh, I got fucking mad. She said, you gave him the whole package. I said, yeah, I didn't didn't hold any back. She, said, she goes, so you probably got the job, right? I said, I don't know. I have no idea. So they had two phone numbers for me, and I was in that patch where they couldn't find me, and they called, and they called her, and they said, we need him here on the 30th. So she knew before I did, and she goes, you got the job. So I was like, oh, okay, great. This is a big win for me. I had no idea it would be this big, not a clue. But the day I'm supposed to leave, she's like, okay, we got to go to the airport. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to go. I was like, fuck, it's on the news, on national news. He's on every night. He's the most Google politician in 2014. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm going back for this. And I go back into Toronto and I got woken up. I go in on the 29th and I got woken up on the day of the 30th and a bang on the door and it's early. I'm talking before 6 a.m. and it's the two police officers from Toronto and they come with us. They run a safety, they do all this. He's furious. I tell him this happens. He said, they had no right to do that to you. They wanted to know who I was and it was a complete secret. I went off of Instagram. I wasn't on Instagram at that time. I was on uh, Facebook. I took everything away from it. And everyone's, you, we get out there and I didn't want to go. I remember going, oh shit, this is a shit show. And we went there and there was like OJ's trial. They were following us in a helicopter from Muskoka back into Etobicoke. It was insane. The cars following, he had 24 hours, cameras were around him all the time. And you're getting out of early recovery. <clears throat> it was hard. I just didn't know what I'd gotten into. And I was staying there. This man snored, man. I mean, whoa. Uh, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm living in this circus. And nobody knew who I was. And he wanted it that way. Yeah. The first day there, we're running through all these candidate protests. And people are yelling on that documentary. You see, like, resign. That was the first day on the job, 100 degrees. And I must have walked 35 miles that day to all these different parades. And it seemed like it was... It, it was nonstop weather, this, that. We went to, I don't know, 12 events. And everywhere we go, there were people yelling, frothing at the mouth, screaming at him. And he's a guy just getting in his recovery. So I like bonded with him. I was like, okay. And that night, we're in the office at Toronto City Hall. And I'm sitting on the couch like I'm trying to be invisible. And he says, I'm sitting with Don Wood from NBC. And he says, there's two guys at the back there. The guy on the right's name is Bob. He has full access to this office. He asks you for anything, give it to him. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want him to say he didn't do it. He has, he needs someone to help him move stuff around, takes it to empty his bar, basically. Right. And he said he'll be here until further notice. And then all these people, Toronto's a big city. They're like, who the hell is this guy? Now they're trying, when you got the guy's ear, they're all want to know who you are. He did not say what I did, who I did. His brother knew, he knew. And Don did. And we just started there. And by day six is when I go into 1010 News and Mike Ben Dixon's working there. And he's with John Moore. And I said, they're like, motherfuck. And they're like, I said, dude. Because they I know work, you from yeah, Montreal. Right, I'm like, right. I work in anonymity, guys. You got to take it easy on me. Christ, he tweeted my name minutes later, Ben Dixon. I know who it is. And then my mom's phone's ringing. It became insane. 
Three days later, I'm at an event, some guy's heckling. Like, professional hecklers are yelling at him. Like, they're not part of normal. It's insane. I got this view of municipal politics, and maybe if someone gave a shit here in Montreal, we wouldn't have to eat out of fucking wooden spoons and have to beg for a bag at the drive-thru. Right. Fuck, I hate wooden spoons. Wooden forks. <laughs> it tastes like wood. I don't like wood. And, the, you know, and then I go to the grocery store. Look how much shit's packed in plastic. But we can't take it home in plastic. That would be wrong. <laughs> Everything's packed in plastic. It's an insane. We live in an insane asylum. Well, yeah, what it is, it's, it's, it's local politicians making themselves feel better yeah. at, at our Expensive. I always think like, oh, that's my rule. Hey, je l'ai mon affaire. I, okay, yeah. getting in a new tangent. But on the mayor of Toronto, I go to this thing, and this guy's yelling at my guy, and he's yelling shitty stuff to him. And I feel like, you know what? And I just get up to him, and I stepped in front of him. I didn't kick him. And I was like, pushed him. Definitely, he vi- I vibed him. But the cops who are against him say, we saw you. You hit him. It was an assault. I'm like, are you kidding? And I just like walked away and I figured, well, I'm going to make myself invisible again. He came and got me. He was working out. He worked out like a dog. He was a, he was a really decent guy. He, he was lovely. To Rob me. Ford. Yeah, yeah. Lovely yeah. guy to me. And he said, nobody fucking died. This, they're going to, I remember the word, they're going to gin this up real good. <laughs> he said, really good. And he goes, but in 24 hours, I will have done something so fucked up that they'll be on me again. Don't worry about it. Just stay put. I need you. And I was now, Hired Sobriety was born when that happened. We had it all ready to go, and we pressed play, and it went live, and I had no idea that it would be, people were calling me from everywhere. So what do you, when you're with Rob Ford, what are you watching for? I'm watching, if for him, his mail, people were leaving Mickey's in his mailbox. People really? were mailing him crack cocaine. Absolute are truth. Are you telling kidding you. me? No, absolutely. Everything was going on there. Well, I shouldn't say it's unbelievable, no, but. They were just awful to wow. him. And it was wow. a guy in his recovery, and he was lovely, um, he felt bad if he go to meetings because all of a sudden, Ted, the room started to fill because yeah. people were fucking yeah. boards here. He was a, a phenomenon in Toronto. I can't explain it. This is the thing that you, you learned from your experience with Rob Ford that I've learned over the years. People forget these are human beings. Mm-hmm. And you may not agree with their political views and you may not like what they're doing, but what has become of politics at all levels, especially the municipal and even national level, there's an ugliness now that yeah. you saw firsthand yeah. that's really disgusting. Like people are angered to the point of like saying terrible things. He's with his kids. One day we're in the park and we're at another event and some woman, yeah, a, a Mr. Sub Cup and full of ice and throws at him. And, hits him. and this guy is twinkle toes. I have a video of him dancing. He uses he could move, man. He could move. And he was a big man. man. 300 yeah. pounds. Yeah. And he ran. I took a line of pursuit. He had the biggest bodyguard ever, ever biggest man I've ever seen in my life to this day. And he went, I can't stop him. But he just grabbed this woman and he goes like, what are you doing? Wrong with you, yeah. I have a family. Yeah. And she was yeah. like, you threw this at me. You made me feel like I was garbage. Like, I, I'm a human being. Yeah. I didn't mean to. What do you mean you didn't mean to? You whipped this thing at me, this like two-pound big gulp at me. And I remember he, I, the security guy said, if he snaps, he'll kill someone. And he didn't. He was nothing but, it, it was almost comical that the version you got and what you saw, like when he was, Pictures of him came out high and this and that. 
because I've never been there. I've been to that same spot. I've been that crazy. Thank God that they didn't have iPhones when I was using, because <laughs> I can't even imagine what I my know people don't want to hear this, yeah. but there are people that I know in Toronto who will tell you the Ford family are kind and good and decent and have big hearts. Yeah, I know. And I, and I, I know didn't, people that don't want to hear experience. that. Yeah. Uh, that was my experience. I don't. Th- Did he like die sober, Bob? Yeah, oh, that's far. good. And, and I'm glad to hear they that. didn't like. Uh, I didn't have a great relationship with Doug. Doug used to, mm-hmm. who he called Jones. <laughs> so he called his brother Jones. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Jones, Jones. They called each other that. Um, they, you know, I, it's funny. I became. Um, I became friends with a lot of political advisors. Most of them were conservative. Uh, yeah. <laughs> most I got, and I got, and some of them were really. They're, they're still my friends today. Yeah. Uh, they were good guys. And, uh, you know, my, 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 he used to say, a liberal's helping me. What the <laughs> fuck is going on here? Listen, and, and we had a banter going. You know, he called me up and he goes, yeah, I'm going to cry. I'm going to uh, get a rock bigger than your head and I'm going to crush a 26 ounce. So it's yeah, it's not much I can do there. Call me in the morning. This is your fucking advice. Uh, and he, he was laughing because I, I gave him, and the people that were close to him, like his attache and stuff, said it was wonderful to see you guys have a relationship where he actually tried trusted someone because everyone wanted something from him. I just wanted him to feel better and get better. And I was there the morning they told him the news and it was long before you guys knew it. Um, and he got given, I was there when the doctor came in three months at best, at worst, six months at best. He was such a fucking willful guy. I lived 18 months, Wow. but he got given like, you ain't coming out of that type of cancer. Yeah, yeah. All you have to do is Google the type of cancer, the survival rates like 2%. And I think oh. that that was a human. A young guy died at 46. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, young man he, with he kids. said to me, he yeah. said, I don't want anyone else but you, because I, I did 44 days of a day off, which is mind-boggling. But he said to me, I'll make you big in your business. <laughs> and he knew it. He knew it before yeah. I did. Yeah. He goes, because I'll do what you say. I don't, I, it's like, what about this guy? It was like Murphy Brown trying to get a new secretary. I don't like the looks <laughs> yeah. of him. Uh, every person that came in to replace all these A-list guys from LA were coming in and from the States. Ah, fuck him. His eyes are too close together. I was like, seriously. And then I got one day off and I came back to Montreal. I was exhausted. I went and got a good meal at uh, Dave McMillan's place at, uh, at Liverpool House, and I went back the day after. Wow. And I got back on that because he was in an election. Is there a competition in your business? There, For me, no. Um, in this country, yeah. no. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I I've rose to a level that is, you know, I don't have to chase work. It no. comes to me. No, but you said guys came in from L.A., and I, I wonder. There's plenty of it in L.A. Yeah, I, 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 I picture a lot of guys pitching, you know, like, I can do this yeah. and I can do that. and Yeah, I'm going to undersell what I can do all right. the time. I'm going to deliver what I can do. And like I said, it's been, I, I look, I dress differently. My ex was a high-level creative. She created Hired Sobriety with a really good vision of how the marketing would be. Right. And she, I remember her said, she goes, this is a drive-by shooting, man. We're going to ruin this business. I said, why? She goes, because nobody, this is all crap. They look like pizza boxes with all these numbers, and I can do this, and just make it clean, streamline, and did it. I still, people think I got lucky in this, and it's commensurate to how lucky I got is how much work I did. Uh, how hard you worked. You know, yeah. And, yeah. and I did a lot. Or I still work like a dog. Um, I, I'm constantly on the road. I was at dinner with him last weekend, and all he did was work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All during yeah you were, you were yeah. helping. Yeah. 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 He was rings. on his phone the yeah. whole time. I'm yeah. handling 26 cases right yeah. now. Wow. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this, and I'm sure you've been asked before, mm. and I'm sure you've heard the whispers mm. from the rooms it's said that we should freely give back what was given 
to us. And they are absolutely right. But I don't do my, you, you know me from my recovery. Yeah. You know me from my home group. We share the same home group. Um, we are, you know, you see how generous of spirit. I don't do a lick of business. I never have in my life, in my life, have I ever done business in that room. That room is sacred to me. I'm getting guys that are, there's a half a dozen guys at my group that I intervened on them. Uh, they ended up liking me and gravitating towards me in Montreal. And that was it. That's what I know. So it wasn't given to me. What I do as a professional, and I'm trained, and I've got all the paper. I'm a Johnson model master's level interventionist. I am a, um, a, a coach that has credentials. Like, you know, you need certain licenses and stuff. Well, I have all of the above, um, but there's a yeah, lot of people you, trying to do you're, it. You're at a place now where your phone rings, you're not calling out. No. Right. Gotcha. No, no, no. Okay. Um, I want to get to the, the vice thing. We, we've been at this for longer than I thought. Poseidon just waved at me. Um, I'm long-winded. And mm-hmm. that's okay. Hi, Poseidon. Hi, Poseidon. And, Poseidon. and also, um, I want. I know there's people <clears throat> probably listening to this who who may want some tips, some signs. So let's get to that. And say thanks to um, the last two sponsors uh, on our list today. And I'm going to start with... A new company that called me out of the blue called Accutech Electric. And I spoke to Tom and Trish on the phone. And like usual, Ted, I was like, um, do you guys know who we are and what knuckleheads we are? <laughs> like, do you, are you sure you've wanted, you know, did you dial the right number? <laughs> and Tom. I'll stand in a puddle of bo- water and change a fuse box. Yeah. You know that, right? <laughs> Tom is a second-generation master electrician. He runs Accutech Electric, again, a family-run business. They've been at it for over 25 years, and I had a long conversation with Tom and Trish about the way they approach their business, the way they approach their employees, uh, the way they like to treat their employees, the way they like to treat their clients, and I thought... This all sounds familiar to you and I, Ted, because these are people we like to speak uh, on behalf of. They do residential, they do industrial, they do high-quality custom work. Um, They can give you estimates, and of course, I said to them, one of the things you don't want to cheap out on is an electrician. When you need electric work, I don't know anything about it, but I know enough about it that you don't want your house catching fire. They like to help their clients save money. They like to talk, and they really believe in education and transparency. And I really, really loved these people, and I loved their mission statement. And you can find them, Accutech Electric, um, our brand-new sponsor. They can talk to you about generators. They can talk to you about, like I said, residential. They can talk talk to you about switching from gas to electricity, all of that stuff that you you may need if you run a business or you are redoing a home or any of that, uh, they can look after. Accutech Electric, you go to Accutech, that's A-C-U-T-E-C-H dot C-A. Let me do the segue. And once you know that your house is properly wired <laughs> and you can sleep safely without any concern whatsoever... You'll want to go to Metla Bonheur. Yes, you will. To get a mattress for yes, that good night's sleep. Mattress and bedding, too, right? Mattress they have bedding. And bedding. I yes. need bedding. I need to go yeah. see them. Yeah. Um, duvets. Uh, they have their own line of linens. Uh, pillows. You need, you know, pillows. Pillows, I find, are a tough thing to buy. 
Because you don't, you know, you pick up a pillow and you're not sure, you know, I, I don't know. Anyway, they're the experts. Don't I need listen something to me. that soaks up the drool. What do I got? <laughs> this may be one of the questions you, that well, you Well, there you asked. go. Yeah, they're you, sleep experts yeah, after all. What are you looking at me like that for, Bob? <laughs> what, am I the only one who drools when he sleeps? <laughs> Medlab on our family-run business is another one. I think all of our sponsors are family-run yep. businesses. Um, and they've been at it for so long, and I, I keep saying this on every podcast, they're passionate about sleep. So when you go in, you get greeted with kindness and a smile and nice manners. They'll ask you a couple of questions about you know, what are you sleeping on, how do you like to sleep, do you sleep on your side? They're not getting personal. I don't know how I sleep. They, I'm asleep. Yeah, but you no, sleep. You're either a side sleeper or a side back sleeper. sleeper. Yeah, exactly. I'm a side sleeper. Yeah, and, gotcha. and he drools. He's yeah. pillow first and a pillow. <laughs> so you'll get asked those questions when you go to one of their locations. And the other thing I like is they'll steer you to a couple of mattresses they think you'll like, and then they leave you alone. They don't follow you around and pressure you because it's a tough decision buying a mattress. The stores are beautiful. The people are amazing. Matla Bonner are locations in and out of the greater Montreal area. And you can find them online, metlabunner.ca. Bobby Marier is our guest, sobriety coach and interventionist. Did I do that right? Yep. Okay. Um, Bobby, there, there may be people listening to the podcast who have been toying with watching a family member spin out. There, there may be, you know, people who have questions. What, what can you say to somebody who has someone close to them struggling what do they do? What are the signs? And and when do you know it's time to make that call? Or do you? I mean, a lot of times it takes a long time before it makes it. But I tell families really easily, who's running the treatment plan? The sickest person in the equation is running the treatment plan, and you want to know why you're not getting a result. Because the addict should not be running this treatment plan. So having a fresh set of eyes. And start with an addiction therapist. I go to families like, oh, he's been going to a family therapist for six years do you go to a Chinese restaurant to fix your car? Because it's the same thing. Um, I tell people that line all the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, like, the addiction therapist is going to know what the hell he's looking at. If I had been to an addiction therapist, I went to therapy for 15 years. I don't know how many different, maybe a half a dozen different therapists. And I told them my bullshit narrative, 30% of the truth. The rest was to fit my narrative, to fit my behaviors and all of the dumb shit I was doing. And that's how I operated. <laughs> And if I look at families now that are suffering, like, get honest. If be, keep an open mind of what this can look like. They all believe, like, a lot of people believe you can forcibly confine your loved one. You can't. <laughs> it has to be a willing thing. But yeah. you bring a group of people together. And this is the biggest show of love and concern you can do. Like, listen, it's not working. Usually, a pre, uh, I said pre or post jackpot, a jackpot, a DUI, uh, conjugal stuff, a fight, uh, a loss of job, stuff like that. Or an inability, they're always the same, there's a cycle that happens. Oh, it, my life would be different if this happened, my girlfriend had bigger boobs, I had a nicer car, this. It's always someone else's fault but the person, the, what we call the identified patient. And if you can start to have a dialogue that looks like <laughs> we're allowing no experts in, we're allowing the sick person to be the expert, that's what you do. And then if you're willing to get, Ted, it's pretty simple how you get this. I tell people this all the time. You need three things. You need to be honest. You need to keep an open mind. And you need to be willing. Those three things are met. Uh, you're good. Can and you force someone to go into treatment? 
You can in the great state of Florida. They have a thing called the Marchman Act. Okay. People take vacations to Florida with their troubled young ones, and then you enter in with the sheriff. And I did one wow. last week, and wow. you enter wow. in with the sheriff, and here's a mandate that you're going into treatment. Yeah. yeah. They can't leave, and they're forcibly kept there. If they leave the premises, they will be taken to a state-run psych ward, which usually is a pretty good motivational seminar because once they go there for a few <laughs> days, right. I'll go back. And that's really how it works. But in Canada, there's not much. And we're looking at a lack of services in this country. Do you mean more along the lines of can you psychologically coerce them? In, can you talk them into yeah, it? Yeah, because, you asking? know, so many people you talk about, you know, there's a DUI or, or there's, some, you know, you, you, you get into a physical confrontation or a fight and you wake up and think, oh, my God, what have I done? But what really stuck with me was very profound in this today, what you said, Bobby, was you woke up from an overdose and said, I just miscalculated. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the that's insane, what, the yeah, insanity that's what everybody does, right? And you're right? like minimalizing and deflecting anything right. that comes towards and that, you. And that's what an addict yeah. or a drunk does. That's a normal thing to, to and justify it, and, your behavior. Yeah. And I guess it, it comes to a point where you just think I've had enough. Yeah. And I get to me, it was so much easier once I went. Yeah. I was like, I should have been here 15 years ago. Yeah, I wish that's I would have really done, I wish I would have done this sooner. I wish I had done yeah. this sooner. And yeah. that's what I can tell people. I've never met someone that, that goes through the process and does the work, Ted. And Ted talked about it. You can't stay sober by osmosis. The quitting of drinking or the quitting of whatever yeah. negatively impacting your life without the inside work will never last. You know, I see, oh, he, won. he had a problem a few years ago. Now he only drinks on Tuesdays. Like, pack a lunch. This yeah. is going to go sideways. Yeah. yeah, And people want to believe that. They're astounded. What do you mean you can never drink again? Like, it was a daunting task. I remember looking at people at AA means they're all full of shit. Yeah. These lion sacks of shit. No one's doing this. <laughs> That's how I thought. I was so negative it's, in the head. It's funny, yeah. eh, because I, I, I look back on the days when we were out all the mm -hmm. time, and I just think to myself, yeah, that was that chapter of our lives. Like I, today, now I think except for the person uh, that has a problematic yeah, drinker. Exactly. Yeah, like I said, some, take yeah, the radio yeah, dial off yeah. and then try and say, uh, yeah. "I want to close it with my mouth." Uh, <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> and I think that's you know it's important, right? And people are in misery. It's causing families pain. It's causing work pain. It's it is the number one offender here. Canada is fifty people a day die of substance abuse disorder of which 80, more than 80% is from alcohol. Wow. And then another 13 or like these numbers are really clearly set that is your doctor is your drug dealer and 3% are illegal drugs. Wow. And we talk about the Vancouver Lower Mainland has had 4,000 deaths this year. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've been out in Vancouver now for two and a half years and it's a whole other kettle of fish yeah. out there. It's really, it's coming here. Really it's coming, ugly and it's, it's coming it's this way. It's moved west yeah. to east and yeah. it's now arriving here. We had eight deaths in one day here yeah. a few weeks, a few weeks ago. And like people say, well, what are your thoughts on this? Is, it, what's going to happen is accidental poisonings. I'm going to wrap it up here is that these aren't drug addicts. Three sorority girls got yeah. some Xanax, thought, hey, man, yeah. what's going to go wrong? We'll get a little buzz yeah. on, yeah, turbocharge yeah. it with some alcohol. Yeah. And there's fentanyl and they're all dead. Jesus and now, Jesus are Christ. they drug addicts? No. 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 They made their kids that made mistakes, and that's what's coming. So we're going to have to like a long, hard look at legalizing drugs that we never thought would be possible because it will stop poisonings from happening. You know? Bobby, this is an unbelievable story, and I, I, I take my cap off to you. I'm not wearing a cap, but if I was wearing one, I would take my cap off. Uh, 
and off it to you. It's an unbelievable story, and thanks for sharing it. I, I really, really appreciate it. Before we let him go, let's do a tweet sheet, shall we? You want to end on the tweet yeah, sheet? Yeah, just to go out uh, on a laugh. Okay. I do something on my radio show called The Tweet Sheet, where I take three funny tweets from Twitter, or X as it's now called. <laughs> and <clears throat> I come across ones that you can't use on the radio. Right. Because they're uh, they're too saucy. So we save them for the podcast. Okay. And I brought three here today that Very I good. you guys might Okay. Here's one from at Radzi. <laughs> Taking a humongous shit in someone else's bathroom and feeling guilty over it, even though it seemed like it had to be done at the time, call me Oppenheimer. <laughs> I've, I've done that. <laughs> and it's like quiet time. I'm like, do you think anyone realizes I'm still here? <laughs> Can anybody hear the Glade spraying? <laughs> From at Robert Bow, fuck, I miss church again. That's like 40 years in a row. Yep. Guilty. And one more from at Slice of Heck. I guess I'm just a hopeless romantic, I say, fucking your wedding cake. Oh, he's lovely. Hey, yeah. his profile picture, he's smoking a pipe. You don't see pipes much anymore, no, do you? You the don't. Yeah. Pipe, especially. Yeah. MacArthur kind of. That's MacArthur, right, yeah. MacArthur General MacArthur smoked the corn cob pipe. I, uh, yeah. Guys, thank you for uh, listen, putting up with me, you, and it's been Bobby, good catching it's, up. It's so I'm, much uh, fun and, <laughs> and so fascinating. What an interesting story. Thank you so much. And Poseidon, thank you. Poseidon is My our, pleasure, the our tireless producer, the Standing By Podcast, Season 6, Episode 1. Done. Standing by, the Terry and Ted podcast has been brought to you by the UPS Store Canada. The UPS Store near you is locally owned and operated by a member of your small business community. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.